Patterson for being with us again. You turn the lights on, Buck, back there. So great to have you, Ian. Thanks a lot, man. Isn't it great? So great. Ian, uh, Ian uh, is, taking, is helping out. Uh, Kara's uh, suffering for Jesus at Disneyland today. Um, so it's great to have you in with us. Let me pray real quick as we jump, jump, before we jump into the Word. Father God, thank you for just being able to sing our worship to you, Father. Now as we look in your Word and we talk about what worship is, Father, that we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and help us to see and understand you in a way that maybe we haven't before or just to be encouraged by your living and active Word. And it's your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we've been announcing, we're starting a new series entitled Back to the Basics. This is our summer series. We're going to be looking at all sorts of things that are topics that are fundamental to the Christian faith, yet oftentimes I think what happens is we, can, we lose the sense of importance of these things and we forget how crucial that they are to our Christian lives. So that's why we're going to jump back in and talk about these things because they are so important. Today, we're still Starting it off by looking at the topic of worship, the topic of worship. I'm, this is one of my favorite topics. Worship is a, is a powerful thing. Most of us uh, in this room have been impacted some way by another by worship. Um, but have you ever thought about or wondered what it means? What does it really mean to worship God? Have you ever wondered how or why are we supposed to even do it? Do you ever, do you want worship during the times of singing at church? Is that the only time we really, really authentically worship? Well, pastor and author A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, to worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness, to look Godward and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end, and from one point of view, the whole duty of man. Well, in the light of this, I thought it would be a good idea this morning for us to take a look at the how and the why of worship. But before we jump into our main passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, I want to take a, just a really, really quick look at what Jesus had to say specifically about the what what worship is. And he, and he did this, one place that he did this was in a conversation that he was having with a woman. He was having a conversation with a woman at a well, which at that time was scandalous. But he was having this wonderful conversation to her, with her, and it turned to worship. And in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, we see where Jesus tells her right towards the end of their conversation, he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus is saying that because that of his coming to earth, because he has now come, a new era is now being ushered in where believers are going to be worshiping God in a whole new way. True worshipers, what he's talking about here, are people that have put their absolute, complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says that these worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth, what does that mean? Well, to worship God in spirit 
means that we show him allegiance and reverence in everything that we are. Everything about us, we show him our allegiance. It means engaging God with our whole heart, okay? It's with passion, Okay, that's what he's saying here. It's with, we passionately engage our whole entire life with Christ. William Temple, the renowned Archbishop of Canterbury, said this. He defined worship as a quickening of conscience of the, by the holiness of God, feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart to the love of God, and devoting the will to the purpose of God. Well, that about covers it. Now, to worship God in truth means, means do this in a way that fits, really, who Jesus is, who God is, as he's been revealed in the Bible, as he's been revealed. Not to think about, oh, I think, I think God is like this. No, but to worship him in truth means, okay, I know this about God, so this is how I know I can worship him. This means that the, really means that the more we know about God, the more we come to appreciate who he is. And in turn, we begin to have a deeper passion for him. Anybody ever experienced that before? As you learn something new about God or something comes into your life, a new truth comes in, you go, oh my gosh, and what does it prompt you to do? You wanna worship. You wanna worship God and you just have a passion for him. You don't even know what to do with it but you just know you're more passionate about him. When it says that God is spirit at the end of this verse, verse here, what he's saying is that we, it can know, we can know that we are worshiping an absolute independent and personal being, okay? So here's kind of my definition that I kind of came up with in talking about this. So essentially worship is an invitation to enter into deeper intimacy with the living God by wholeheartedly showing him reverence for who he is. To me, that is what worship is. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And we'll see a glimpse of what all this means as we, to worship God throughout today's passage as far as what it is, what it means. Um, so with that brief, very brief look of what worship is, what I wanna do now is I wanna shift. I wanna spend the rest of our time looking at the how and the why. Okay, we're gonna look at the how and the why of worship by looking at one of my favorite psalms in the, in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 100. I believe that really understanding this psalm is really key in helping us to better understand the true, what it truly means to worship God. Now, if you've never read through the psalms or psalms are super familiar to it, what the psalms really are is they're a collection of prayers or poems and hymns that were really often meant to be sung. I mean, many of the songs we sing, so many of the songs that we sing are psalms from the book of Psalms. Really, psalms basically in its essence is an, is an ancient Hebrew hymn book. That's, that's the way we should be looking at it. But really, it has a ton to teach us today. And the song that we're going to look at today was really, this was a song that was intended. This was specifically intended to be sung. This was written to be sung for worshipers as they were entering the temple of Jerusalem. Old Testament, this Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, writes this. He says, this psalm is one of the best known and best loved in the entire repertoire of the Psalter. It breathes a faith of simple trust, glad surrender, 
and faithful responsiveness. Now, in, in, in this psalm, we're going to see that we are given six mandates, okay? Six mandates or commands for worshiping God. And then we're also going to see that he gives us six reasons for those. Some of you are counting. Holy crud, he's giving us 12-point 12 12 point sermon. No, these are things that are going to come right out of the passage, okay? We're going to see they're right there, very simple, plain to see. And, we'll talk, and we're going to talk about them. So since that's a lot of points, what I really would ask you to do is just ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, say, hey, what do you got for me this morning? What is it that you have for me? What do you want me, what's my takeaway from all this stuff we're going to look back? I mean, actually, that should be our prayer every Sunday morning is what's, Spirit, what, Spirit of God, that's his job, by the way, is to help reveal, you know, he'll to reveal to us his truth. So I want to ask you to do that as we look at all these different things. So let's, let's jump right in. Psalm 100, uh, the first three mandates that we're going to look at come in verses 1 and 2. Here it is. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Okay, so the first mandate, we see it right there, is we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, what the heck is, I know people say that all the time. What's a joyful noise? Well, a joyful noise, and what he's talking about here would be like this loud shout. Anybody reading the NIV version, doesn't your say, shout to the Lord? So that's what it is. It really is, literally, it's a loud shout or it's fanfare. It's like people would be seeing royalty. This is like people saying, long live the king. That's what this is all about. Long live the king. We, we are, you are great. It's an equivalent to really excitedly shouting, you're my king, and I am your subject, and liking it, and wanting it, just loving proclaiming that. That's what this is saying. When it says shout to the Lord or make a joyful noise, that's what he's saying. You're my king, and I am your subject. Now notice he says that everyone in the entire earth is called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. This is what he desires. This is what God desires for everyone to join in. That's his deep desire. So how should this practically look? Okay, how is this supposed to look? Uh, in this, in the psalm, is the psalmist telling us that we need to always be shouting? Do we need to be really loud in order to worship? Is that what he's getting at? What I believe he's saying here is that at certain times, there should be some form of outward display of our joy in worship. I mean, think about it. When we go to a sporting event, what do we do? We clap, we cheer, we yell, we go to performances. Yay, that's great. We applaud the performers. We go to concerts. What do you do? No one sits there at a concert like, this is my favorite song. No one does, no one does that. They sing along, they jump in, they get into, the, get into all of it. Shouldn't we then with wholeheartedly express our reverence for God, who God is? Shouldn't we do that? Yeah, yeah thank you. It, it needs to be appropriate, obviously. It needs to be appropriate for the setting. But we should be thinking that way. That should be our mindset, is expressing reverence for God wholeheartedly, however that looks for you. Practically speaking, this means that when we worship the Lord, whether it's through song or it's for dance, Shani's not here, dance, I've seen her do worship dance, or through art, 
worshiping through art, through spoken word, or through lifting up of our hands, what he's saying here is we are to do it with passion. We're to do it with passion in our hearts, okay? And it does, like I said, it doesn't have to be jumping around necessarily, but it has to be passionate. Passion doesn't always be wild and crazy, but it has to be passionate. When you lift your hands, you're passionately lifting your hands. When you're doing something for the Lord and it's for worshiping him, we're to do it thinking about, oh, this is so important to me. Because remember, it's for, and I love Robert says this all, this is for our king. It's for our king. That's who we're doing it for. So we should do it with passion, however that feels right and appropriate for that time. Okay, second mandate, he says here, is to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, there are a number of Hebrew words in the Bible that mean worship. Now, this particular one has, to, has kind of a dual meaning. It has worship, but also kind of serving and working is kind of in there also. Because really think about it. When we worship someone or we worship something, we are ultimately serving or submitting ourselves to that person or to that thing, Right? It could be God, it could be a relationship, a career, money, success, power, or even a hobby that we're completely obsessed with. So what do we do with that? So easy to get sidetracked and worship other things. Now, I see a solution here. The solution really is oriented in our worship towards God in, this, in Romans. If you turn to Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one, verse one, this is a great solution for orienting our worship towards God. Romans 12, one says, the Apostle Paul says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice means to give everything that we are to God. It's really, it's a way of life. It's adjusting and adapting our entire existence to faithfully serving the Lord wherever you are, whatever we are doing. He's saying that because of God's mercy that he's shown us by bringing us into this right relationship with himself through the person and work of his son, it's only right that we would wholeheartedly give to God our hearts, our minds, our wills, our desires, our words, our actions, our everything. Does that make sense? That we would give him everything. My wife has a small chalkboard in our kitchen that she's had in multiple homes that we have, small chalkboard where she writes inspirational words or phrases. And for the past few months, it's probably been more than the past few months, it's been a while, that on this one, this little chalkboard, it's about this big, it has said wholeheartedly on it. And that's where this is coming from. She's talking about living passionately for the Lord wholeheartedly. And it's a great reminder when we walk by that thing, you see that little chalkboard that says wholeheartedly. To not just live my life for, if I'm gonna live my life for God, not to just do it, okay, I'll try a little bit here. No, I'm gonna do everything I can to worship God by giving him my all, my best, and I know I'm gonna need him for that. I know I'm going to need him for it. Worship is intentionally giving glory to God 
through the way that we live our lives, wholeheartedly, through everything we do. And at the end there, he says, with gladness and with joy. We do it with gladness. It's something as followers of Jesus that we actually love to do. It's something we actually long to do. Okay, third one. Third mandate is to come into the Lord's presence with singing. As you look throughout the Psalms, it's really obvious that God is really into singing. You're thinking, uh-oh, I can't carry a tune. I'm dead. That's not, don't worry about that. But God is really into singing. Uh, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to actually sing. And the reason I think this is so is because singing helps us to emotionally connect with and really amplify the emotions of the words we are singing. Why do you think we, when we're happy, we, what do we want to do? We want to sing. We want to dance. We want to, but you know, it's easy for us to want to sing. There's this melody that we want to get it out. Why do you think kids, when they're happy, la, 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 they, they sing? That's the whole idea. 18th century preacher Jonathan Edwards said this, the duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned. Why, should we, we, why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame, that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Now, one thing important to talk about and to note here is that just because we're singing, it doesn't mean we're worshiping. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Long quote here, but I felt like it was a good from Pastor John MacArthur. He says this, music and liturgy can assist or express a worshiping heart, but they cannot make a non-worshiping heart into a worshiping one. The danger is that, that they, can move, they can give a non-worshiping heart the sense of having worshiped. So the crucial factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship, but the state of the hearts of the saints. If our corporate worship isn't the expression of our individual worshiping lives, it is unacceptable. If you think you can live any way you want and then go to church on Sunday morning and turn on worship with the saints, you're wrong. Powerful. So those are the first three mandates, okay? Got through those. Now, verse three gives us the three, three responses to those mandates. Verse three says this, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. All right, first reason. First reason is we know that he is the one and only God. That's the first reason. The word know here isn't like, oh, I just know God. It's not just a knowledge about God or a knowledge about something. It's really the same root word that comes in Genesis chapter four where it says that Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived a child. It's not just knowing about God it's actually being intimately acquainted with God. It indicates this close, this warm, and even passionate intimacy that's combined with the head knowledge. I know who he is, but I really know who he is. 
It's this type of knowledge that we know that the Lord, that he is one. We are so acquainted with him, we know that he is it. He is the one and only God. And really, what, it's, it, what it is, it's the thing that inevitably helps us to trust in God alone. It helps us to make his word authoritative in our life, in our life when we're intimately connected with him. Okay, you see, true worship really needs to be based on this intimate knowledge of who God is. Okay, which now the second one. The second reason is that we belong to God. It says it right there. We belong. We're reminded here that he is the creator and we are the created. Now, it's important to remember that we didn't create ourselves. And we weren't, get this, we were not created for ourselves either. God created you and my, and <laughs> my English went crazy there. You and me and I, you and I, God created you and I for one purpose. That purpose is his pleasure. That's why God created us. Colossians 1.16 says that by him and through him and all, by him and through him, all things, including man, were created for him. Everything was created for him. God created man in his likeness in order to have a genuine, intimate relationship with him. This actually helps us really, in many ways, to answer those questions that are out there that a lot of people ask, like, why am I here? Why was I put on this earth? The answer really is simple, but it's very profound. You and I are here for the purpose of knowing the love of an intimate relationship with the creator of everything in the universe. That's why we're here. And in turn, to give him all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. That's why we were put here. It's so that people would ultimately be who Peter, we talked about this in our service, we went through Peter, when Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Get this, a people for his own possession, that what? That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a terrific reason to worship God. All right, third reason. Third reason for these mandates is that he is our shepherd. He is our shepherd. Having made, us, having made us in order to have this intimate relation with him, relationship with him, and then to proclaim his greatness, we now see that he cares for us like a shepherd cares for his flock. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how completely dependent sheep are on their shepherd. He keeps watch because they love to stray off. Sheep, sheep just love to put their head down and go. He leads them to places where there's, where there's food and where there's, be, they'll be safe. He, take, he, make, he helps them find nourishment. He protects them from harm. As we saw in, in uh, John 10, um, when we look forward, as Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Once again, this, once again, this word know, even though this is a New Testament word, this, know, this word also indicates that this person is known, this person that is known is of some extreme value to the person that knows them. 
It's not just, oh, I just know about you. I just kind of know you. No, they know them in a way that, oh, they are so valuable to me. This means that you and I are extremely valuable to God. Extremely valuable. I know it's hard to picture that, isn't it, sometimes? I'm valuable to God? Yes. That's what he's saying here. That's what this means. You see, when we intimately know God and know that we are his and why we are here and that we are important to him, we can't help but worship him wholeheartedly. It just makes perfect sense. Now, in verse 4, we're going to look at the remaining three mandates for worship. Okay, verse 4 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, what the psalmist is doing here is he's kind of painting for us this picture, okay, of what worship can look like. In a sense, he's giving us kind of a pattern in some ways of worship. So the fourth mandate in these verses is we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, this is literally an invitation to enter into, the pre- into God's presence. You see, the gates were these, out, were the, uh, the, on the outer wall of the temple that was built, the gates were the, surrounded the temple, and it led into the public places of worship, which were the courts. So to enter his gates with thanksgiving means that we come initially into God's presence. When we do that, we should do it with a posture of gratitude and thankfulness and thanking him for what he has done. Okay, that's a great way to start when you come to approach God. Thank you for what you have done, what you have given. We come into his presence thanking him for saving us, for forgiving us, for his grace, that his mercies are new every single morning, for peace that is defined not by our circumstances, for giving us his word, for hope in Christ, for answered prayer, for unconditional love, for beautiful, I mean, I've heard so many prayers this morning about beautiful creation, the beautiful day it is today. We need to be doing that, thanking God for that, thanking God for loved ones, thanking him for every single thing that he provides. And it's actually our benefit to do that. It's actually our benefit that we thank God for all that he has done. Because really, we all know this, it's really our bent to become self-centered, isn't it? I know, I'm just, I'm just talking to myself now, I know. But it's our bent to become self-centered or arrogant. And we want to give ourselves all the credit for our achievements and all that we have. It was me, it was me, because of my talent you gave it, it's me. But when it's focused the other way, it helps us in that. Thanking God for all he has done in our lives and in the other, li- other people's lives, it keeps us humble, and it keeps, less, it keeps us from less, less prone to take things for granted, the simple things in life for granted. Fifth mandate is to enter his courts with praise. Now, once we've thanked God, we've thanked God for all of this, for what he has done, we move into praising him for who he is. Very important. This word praise here literally means a hymn of praise. It's this idea, really, of taking this melody that's in our heart and putting words to it. The very things that the Holy Spirit is bubbling in us about God, and we put words to those very things. That's why we worship. That's why we worship on Sunday mornings. 
That's why we do it with singing on Sunday morning, because we know that throughout the week there's things that God has been doing in people's lives that they, oh my gosh, not all of you have done this, but you've revealed himself that who he is. We want to do that together collectively. That's why it's so important to do that. Psalm 147.1 says this, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. So in order to truly praise God for who he is, here's the important thing, though. We really need to know who he is. We need to know his attributes, his characteristics. You see, we praise him because he is holy. This word holy literally means he's separate. He's completely other than anything else. God is completely separate in his splendor and in his flawless perfection. We praise him for that. We praise him for his, that he's majestic, that he's infinite, that he's wise, that he's sovereign, he's faithful, and he's righteous. And these are just to name a few. Um, if you're interested, I have a whole stack back in the back of not all of them, but a list of the attributes of God with a verse that are go with it. So you can remember these things. You can post it somewhere. And remember, it's so important as we praise God to remember who he is. It's all about you. We just sang that's all about you, God. The point is that worshiping God means to let the melody of our song that is in our heart burst forth in praise. Again, I love what A.A.W. Tozer says. He says, God wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration of which he is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Wow. And worship does that. Sixth mandate is to bless his name. The word bless here actually really means to kneel down, okay? It means to kneel, because what, what the psalmist is saying here, what he's doing is putting an exclamation kind of mark on what these last two things he just said that we're supposed to do. To bless the Lord really means to humbly kneel before him, showing him our gratitude and our admiration for giving for giving everything to us, for the God, by giving him our entire lives. That's how we do it. We say, my life is yours. It's like if a king came in, the king, of the, it's hard for us to imagine the king because we don't have a king here, but what it was like, a king comes in and you're a subject and you bowing down. Oh, everything I have is yours. That's what this word is saying here, to bless the Lord. Psalms 103.3 says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and a couple things that are in me. And all, thank you, you're awake, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Everything that is, in, that is within me. Even the stuff you want to hold back a little bit. Everything that is within me. Now in verse 5, we're given the final three reasons for the mandate to worship, okay? Final three reasons. He says this, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So fourth reason. Fourth reason is that he is good. Goodness, you guys, is at the very essence of who God is. I mean, he is actually the source of every good thing that happens and every good thing that we have. 
Yet much of the world, and a lot of times Christians, um, doubt that God really is good. They look around and say, how can God be a good God if all this is happening? Well, James helps us out in the book of James. In his letter, he wrote this. In James chapter 1, he read, he said, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. What James is doing is he's telling us, do not be deceived into thinking that God causes evil in any way. We just looked at that he is holy. God has nothing in common with evil. Remember, one of his attributes is holy, so it's, it's completely separate. It's completely other from who God is. We can be 100% sure of the promise that many of us know in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work, what? Together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not necessarily the good that I think is good, but God's good. He knows what's good. Everything, everything for his good. Because he is good. It's who he is. Fifth reason is that God's steadfast love endures forever. Once again, the Hebrew word here is the steadfast love refers to really this ultimate loyal love. If you want to know more about the, the, seeing how this is played out in the book of Ruth when you're, and, and talking about Ruth and Naomi and their relationship. But this is this ultimate sacrificial loyal love. Wherever you go, I am going. It's a love that acts in the benefit of another person without even considering at all what is in it for them. It's all about somebody else. It's a love that goes beyond what is required or expected. This is the love that God has for you and for me. And it never, ever ends. What another tremendous reason to come to the Lord with thanksgiving and with praise. Last one. We see that his faithfulness endures to all generations. God's faithfulness means that he is reliable. He is completely dependable. This speaks of the endless goodness of God towards his own forever, forever. Now, as followers of Jesus, worshiping God is essential. It is an essential part of our DNA as followers of Jesus. It's an active response to God with joyful thanksgiving because of who he is. And the cool thing is, you guys, is really it's something that we're gonna, one of the things we're gonna be doing forever. We get to do this for, we get to do this forever. You see, our time of worshiping God on, here, God on earth, this is just the beginning, okay? This is just a small piece of what's gonna happen. The Bible says that one day all nations, all people will come together and worship the king of kings. And we actually really have a really cool picture of this in the book that we all understand very well, Revelation. We have a good picture of this. It's a really cool picture of what this is gonna look like in Revelation um, chapter seven, verses nine through 12. It's really long, but I wanted, to have this, I wanted to have this passage for us anyway to look at. It says, after this I looked... 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around. We get to be with them doing it too. This is gonna be amazing. Stand on the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And that's not gonna be a boring rote, amen. That's gonna be a darn celebration every second for the rest of eternity. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I want to encourage you all this morning. I want to encourage you. If you haven't already or haven't for a long time, really start to begin passionately, joyfully, enthusiastically, and wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord with gladness, thanksgiving, and with praise. Make it a part of your day throughout the entire week, not just here, not just a Sunday morning thing. Take small moments throughout your day, at work, at home, wherever you are, take small moments out of your day to thank God for what he has done and to praise him for who he is. I mean, sing a song or listen to a song, especially the ones that invite you and I to surrender our hearts and minds and wills to God. Doesn't that just do, isn't that just an amazing, soothing balm when we do that? We need to do that more often. Remind yourself, put an alarm on your clock, whatever it takes to do that every once in a while. And do it because he's your God, because you belong to him, and because he is good, he's loving, He's faithful, and I can guarantee you, you make this a practice, you make this a habit, it will have a tremendous impact.